Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. If you're reading this book, it's too late. Chapter 21. Uh, It says, in mop upside down. Okay. Ready, Peyton? Ready? (laughs) She is half asleep. All right. Well, let's do this chapter. Chapter 21. We're on page 158 of If You're Reading This, It's Too Late, book two, secret series by Synonymous Bosch. Okay. For as long as Cass had known them, which was a lo- as long as she'd been alive, Grandpa Larry and Grandpa Wayne had lived in an old fire station, but Cass had never once seen a fire, in- seen a fire engine there. It's not quite as surprising as it sounds because the fire station no longer operated as a fire station. Rather than firefighters at a station housed at rather than firefighters, the stationed house was only Cass, Cass's grandfather's and their antique stores, the, the fire sale. That afternoon, when she arrived to walk Sebastian, Cass saw not only long red, a long red fire engine, but also paramedics and policemen and emergency emergency workers of every stripe. They spoke into walkie-talkies. They took photos. Sorry, babe. Sorry, sorry. They they band-aid about phrases you usually only hear on television, like securing the perimeter and talking to witnesses. Normally, the sign was so much more emergent. Was so much the okay, normally the sight of so much emergency activity was on the quiet tree lane would have excited Cass, and she would have plummeted to the paramedics with questions about CPR techniques or at least complained to the firemen about seatbelt situations on her school bus. But it was different knowing her grandfathers were inside. Are you cozy? Are you okay? Yep. Has someone been hurt? Had the firehouse been caught on fire? Cass looked around, her heart beating in her chest. The sky was clear, didn't smell of smoke. Cass ran up the steps and found her grandpa Larry right inside the doorway, deep in conversation with a woman police Unif- a woman in police uniform. As it turned out, nothing terrible had transpired, except a rather minor burglary. For the reason for all of the emergency ver- vehicles had come that Larry had been so distressed when he called 911 that he wasn't be able to get been able to get a word out, and the 911 dispatcher had assumed that he was choking or worse. They just turned the place upside down, Larry was saying now. Yes, I can see that, said the expressionless policewoman, looking at the piles of junk on the floor. There was stuff everywhere. The store was bursting at the seams. The only relief from the chaos was a shiny brass fire pole that disappeared into a hole on the floor above. Oh no, those piles are from when we first started doing inventory three years ago. Big mistake, Larry shook his head remembering. I see. So those shelves then, said the policewoman. The policewoman nodded towards the open shelves. Books, crockery, and old machinery, and knickknacks, and all it all tumbled out out of the shelves, very much as if somebody had 
upended them. Are you kidding me? Larry huffed. We just organized those shelves last month. It took days. I have, they've never been so neat. Right. Then what exactly? What? Well, those drawers, of course, and the cabinets over there. Can't you tell? So, so bloody so-and-sos just tore them apart. Larry pointed across the room. Ahem, said the policewoman. Straight, oh, uh-huh, said the policewoman, straight-faced. There was no way to tell what had been torn apart and what hadn't. But they hadn't taken anything at all. The worst part, how dare they not take anything? They couldn't find anything that they wanted. Those laptops, for example, were perfectly usable. Um, were perfectly usable. And they left the Staffordshire a chip here and maybe, but a chip here and there maybe, but stunning at the same time. Could be someone's angry at you or playing a joke unless you're playing one on me. She looked at him sharply. No, never. Oh, Cass, I didn't see you. All of this nuttiness is making him nutty. Larry gestured towards the blind basset hound lying a few feet away. Sebastian, it must be said, looked a lot calmer than Larry. But Cass didn't argue. Grandpa Larry not may not have known what burglars wanted, but she did. Well, she suspected. As for Cass was concerned, there was only one thing in the house. It was, and it was at her house. Oh no, I'll take him right now, she said. She, she grabbed Sebastian's leash and she started to roll. That's right, roll. You see, over the last few months, Sebastian had lost his ability to walk. Oh, he could shuffle a little bit, but on his, but his back had gotten so painful. His belly had fallen so low to the ground that he couldn't have more than a few feet without exhausting him to the point of collapse. Sometimes he looked more like a rug than a dog. Indeed, more than one customer in Cass's grandfather's shop had stepped on him only to be surprised by the loudest yelp they've ever heard. Grandpa Wayne, as if you'd, you've read my first book and you haven't, and if you haven't, what I can say is there's risks to everything. Was retired, was a retired auto mechanic and constant tinker. He had dealt with Sebastian, Sebastian's disability by ringing an old, by rigging an old skateboard for the dog's use. The skateboard was outfitted with a seatbelt to prevent Sebastian from falling off and a leash, which was to pull the skateboard. Everybody was happy with the contraption, even Sebastian, until an obstacle became apparent. How was, abs- how was Sebastian supposed to do his business if he was strapped to a skateboard? Hence, Cass's grandfathers had taken, sorry, I had hair in my mouth, had ta- uh, grandfathers had taken to wrapping Sebastian in a towel. Oh, let's call it, what is it, a diaper with a hole cut for his tail. If you've ever seen a dog in a diaper, let me tell you, there are a few sights sadder. There are a few sights sadder, unless it was the sight of a, of a blind, near-deaf dog virtually paralyzed in a diaper it's a good thing he can't see himself was all Cass could say for the first time she saw sebastian in his new getup as brave as Cass was i must admit that it all it was all so occasionally embarrassed i must admit that it was occasionally embarrassed to 
her for her to walk Sebastian this in this condition. Today, however, she didn't give it a thought by the way he looked. She ran down the street with Sebastian practicing flying behind her. When they reached her house, Cass walked right past and down another block, partially to look at the suspicious activity, partially to screw up her courage. When they returned, she still didn't let herself in. She went around the back with Sebastian standing guard, or lying guard anyways. She dug until she could verify that the sound prism was still there, wrapped in the mylar space blanket just the way she left it. Then relieved, she quickly reburied it. She entered the house as silently as she could, considering she was pulling a dog on a skateboard behind her. Inside the house was quiet and apparently untouched. The couches had not been torn apart, and the bookshelves and drawers had not been upended. The cupboards had not had not been ransacked. Could she have been wrong? Was was it possible the grandfather's burglars hadn't been looking for the sound of pri- the sound prism after all? Was it possible that the midnight sun had never been to the firehouse? Wouldn't they have checked her house first? She was almost disappointed. She'd been so certain. Cass felt a tug on Sebastian's leash. He'd been acting anxious ever since they arrived at her house. But now he was reeling on his skateboard and barking, barking frantically. What's wrong, Sebastian? Better not be doing, better not be your diaper because I'm definitely not changing it. Maybe he was just wants to go, maybe he just wants to get off the board and go for a minute, she thought. As soon as Cass untied him, the blind, near-deaf dog and physically ailing dog leapt off of the skateboard, sinning the board, shooting backwards. And then he bolted towards the stairs with the energy of a dog half his age, astonished, Cast followed Sebastian upstairs where she ran hesitatingly all the way to her closed bedroom door, which he pawed furiously. When Cass opened the door, he bounded into the room, trembling with excitement and exhaustion, and fell in a heap in front of her bed. Cass stared at the dog. What has gotten into you? Are you trying to tell me something? Cass knew from experience that Sebastian had a keen sense of smell and of danger. Not for nothing did they call him Sebastian, the seeing nose dog. For him to act so peculiarly, there had to be a reason. Nervous, Cass went through the regular checks, but she didn't notice anything unusual. But when she glanced at her windowsill, she stopped short. The dead bee was gone. She looked down, and there it was on the floor, a foot away from the wall. Somebody had opened her window. When she checked her drawers the second time, she saw that the dental floss had been retied rather than sloppily or had been retied rather sloppily somebody had looked in her drawers somebody had looked in her room and that's when she saw it sitting on her bed her sock monster what was once her sock monster anyways it had been ripped into pieces and was now in a pile of scraps a few torn socks some loose threads bottle caps and tennis shoes Tennis shoe tongues, loose recycled cotton stuffing. So the midnight sun had come after all, and they had left her a gift of sorts, a warning. Of course, now that she'd been established that Cass was right, Cass was not excited about it. In fact, she was rather frightened. Okay, that's creepy. And we have completely lost this little angel. Okay, we will see you later for chapter 20.